Every year we try to go to the Saratoga Performing Arts Center. Um, we have uh, – we like – oh, are we recording? Excellent. They never record me. Like they re- like Rick says, oh, stop the recording now. But I, I try not to take it personally when I find out, oh, it didn't work for you, Bill, to, <laughs> to record you. Um, but we are, apparently, this time. Uh, so, amen. Um, we like uh, we like classical music in our family, um, so we try to go there and we try to go on one of the uh, ice cream nights where they give away free ice cream and we sit on the lawn and we have a good time. So, um, but as you can imagine, with four boys, it can be a little challenging uh, to go to any performance of any kind. Um, so we spent a lot of time at the beginning trying – this time it was just trying to run the energy out of Bryce. So I was going back and forth to wherever with him. And Mary was online with the other kids for balloon thingies that they were making, right? These hats and dogs and all sorts of stuff that they were making. So they got those, and then we go back to our spot and kind of realize we got to hide the balloon thingies because they're going to be a distraction and noisy if the baby and Bryce get their hands on them. So not great planning, but we manage with that. And my job, you know, was I'm, I really wanted to try to keep Jameson quiet. He was one at the time. Bryce was three. Uh, so that people could enjoy the performance. And so um, he's doing good, you know, and as I noticed, he was beginning to get kind of restless uh, I did what any good parent does. I took my cell phone out and I gave it to him, right? <laughs> and it's really kind of amazing uh, how kids innately work cell phones. It's kind of bizarre. And he's, his little hand is holding it, and it's not a huge cell phone. You know, it's, it's a you know, regular size. But his little finger just... The swiping, like they just, they know how to do it. It's amazing. And so he's swiping and he's happy. And, but I notice that the battery's dying. And I'm like, oh no. Because as soon as the screen goes blank, he's going to flip his lid. This is what I'm thinking. And um, it goes blank. And so I'm thinking, what else am I going to give him? And I'm trying to take the cell phone away from him. And um, I, you know, I said, Jameson, let daddy have it. It doesn't work anymore, like he could understand me. Um, but he had a death grip on this thing, right? He was not going to let it go. And, and what I was trying to avoid of him getting loud, I was only creating by trying to take the cell phone away from him, right? He's getting angrier and angrier. Um, but I was like, it doesn't work. And it made me think about how often we are like one-year-olds with cell phones that don't work. We hold on to stuff that doesn't work. We hold on to things in our lives that we're used to, we're comfortable with, that are patterns, but they don't work. And we hold on to them for dear life, and we won't be separated from them. And God says to us, you know, Ray, that doesn't work anymore. Let go of it. Bill, that doesn't work anymore. Let go of it. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about tonight, uh, tonight, today. Uh, 1 Samuel 15, I'm going to go through a couple of examples, uh, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. And we're going to read verses 10 through 31 in 1 Samuel 15. And I'm going to take another drink of water before I do. 
<clears throat> now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me, has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. The rest we've utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, <clears throat> When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. <clears throat> so Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord, and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel away from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also, the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. God's not going to change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of the, my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. There is a ton of things in these 22 scriptures um, that we could focus on. And what um, jumps out to me are or is the possibility of at this point in his life, if Saul had said, if that's the word of the Lord, then I accept it and I give up the kingdom. Let the Lord give it to whomever he wants. But he held on to it. His desire was to hold on to it. And as you study Saul's life, you see madness, you see attempted murder, you see 
virtually all of his family wiped out. One male heir left. Saul's family never sits on the throne again. And how different things would have been had Saul been able to let go. But we see evidences in this story of why he didn't let go. And even before that, when Samuel first anointed Saul king, he was hiding amongst the baggage, right? When you were little in your own eyes, Samuel says to him, God anointed you as king. Saul had an issue of how he appeared to other people, and so he hid. And he had an issue that continued in how he appeared to other people, because when the people said, we should take some of these oxen and we should take some of these cattle, Saul said, I feared the people, and I did what they wanted, because I was afraid of them and what they would think. And when Samuel says, I'm out of here, Saul grabs onto him because his desire is to save face in front of the elders and have Samuel go and have some legitimacy to his continued reign, that Samuel would be with him and he'd be able to go on and worship the Lord. And so Saul holds on to this thing that he knows is not the will of God. So imagine had Jonathan been next to David in reigning. You know, could Jonathan have helped David not to go the route that he went with adultery and murder? Could he have saved him from son of the bloodshed that he gave into? What kind of peaceful life would Saul have had to have been able to let go of what he thought he should be doing, what other people thought he should be doing, and to turn that over? And there's such a sadness in the rest of Saul's life for holding on to something that he needed to let go of. And that's kind of what we're talking about today, is letting go of things that don't work. Um, In the uh, New Testament, let's look at uh, John chapter 11. So the chapter of John is mainly focused on the death of Lazarus and Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Um, And uh, the scripture, uh, the portion that I want to read is uh, in verse 45 uh, to verse 48. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary, they'd come to, um, to grieve with her at Lazarus' death, uh, and they were there and they saw Lazarus raised from the dead. Many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did believed in him. They put their faith in Jesus. Some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Now, I don't know whether they went and said, you know, he shouldn't be doing this, or whether they went and they were amazed and shared this with the Pharisees. It doesn't give us any detail on that, whether they were sharing it with them uh, out of envy or ill will, but they went and they shared these things. Verse 47 says, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And so the Pharisees here were trying to hold on to some stuff 
right? If everyone believed in Jesus, then they may not follow the Pharisees and their traditions and their ideas of how you should worship God were taught. Their, their following was at stake here. But if they mention specifically their place and their nation, their place, the temple, that the Romans would come and take the temple away and they would take the whole nation away. It would be destroyed if everybody goes and believes in Jesus. And so they're trying to hold on to this system, right, and trying to make it work. They're always trying to balance We've got to please the Romans. We're trying to please God. We know all the rules that we're supposed to follow. We don't want the people to get too out of control. We want to maintain our position and authority that we have, and they're always trying to balance and make it work, trying to make it work. And it's striking that if they went back and read their own scriptures, every instance of God providing the land to them was God providing the land to them. It wasn't their work that secured the land. Now, they did go in and fight, but the Lord went and fought for them. There's a scripture that says the Lord sent ahead of them um, the, uh, I think it says, the bee and the wasp to drive the other nations out before them. So God's plan was, I'm going to soften things up by sending, you know, insects (laughs) that are going to so aggravate these people that they're going to leave their cities before I send my people in. I am going to take care of this. When they came back from Babylon, they didn't fight for that land. They built a city. They guarded it. But God is the one that made that possible with his, his people going before the kings there and saying, this is the situation. Can you send people back? God always took care of that. But they were trying to protect their place, their temple, and their nation and missing the fact that God was the one had, that had done that. And what happens when we hold on to things that don't work, when we try to maintain our position, is we miss the miraculous. We miss the things that God is, that God are doing, God is doing, in any case. We miss things. What do they miss here? Someone just got raised from the dead. I mean, don't you think they would go and focus on that? What? He raised a guy from the dead? Let's go figure out what's going on. That's amazing. And you have example after example in the New Testament where they stood on the sides of miracles that were being done and shook their heads and derided it. And all they could think about was, how do we maintain our position? God has miraculous things that he's doing in all of our lives. And we get blinded because we're trying to manufacture and control and keep things going a certain way, the way that we want them to go or believe they should go or think we have to do, and we miss the miraculous. There's a, um, one of the only times that Jesus, uh, that it says that Jesus was angry, um, he was uh, in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and a uh, man comes with a withered hand, right? And Jesus has him stand up in front of everybody, and uh, all the Pharisees are kind of questioning, you know, in their, he's, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? You know, let's see. Let's see what he does. And Jesus has a man stand up, and he, and he looks at them, and he says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And they go, and they don't say anything. They won't answer. And it says Jesus was angry because they were 
keeping people from seeing the greatness of God and what he had for their lives. And they wouldn't accept it themselves. They couldn't let go and say, wow, God is amazing. He heals. He does things that nobody has ever seen. This man must be from God to do the things that he's doing. And they say multiple times, no one has performed the signs and wonders that this man has done. But they could not let go of the thing that they were holding on to. And so they missed miracle after miracle, lepers being healed, withered hands reformed, the blind, you know, when the blind man goes into them, they question him. They bring his parents in. They question them. Not, wow, what can I learn from this person? How can I uh, understand how to have my life different? What is it that God is trying to do uh, through this? And so we miss things um, because we're trying to hold on to our place. So um, how does this manifest itself in our lives? Uh, I will give an example from my life. And uh, maybe you feel this way, maybe you don't, but I'm sure you got something you're holding on to that doesn't work. So we'll just apply it across the board. Um, I, uh, I have kind of this idealized version of myself, right? Oh, I, I can see that there are some that agree. Excellent. I have something I can work with now. Um, and my idealized version of myself is, you know, he, uh, works out consistently, you know, he gets up before everybody else and does all the things that are supposed to be done and he is super successful in everything that he does, and he speaks well, and everybody is impressed with him, and uh, they should be. <laughs> Ray knows me as my idealized self. Um, and uh, so it w- I don't know how long ago it was, but I was sitting in these chairs, or maybe I was sitting in the dirty blue chairs we had before these nice chairs, and um, I, was, I, was, I was just upset about not being who I wanted to be. And um, the scripture was, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul. And it hit me right between the eyes and it hit me right in my heart that as, as good as it would be for my family and as impressive as it would be for me to be this idealized thing, that was not what God has for me. He may want to develop some of those characteristics, but that's not his plan for me. His plan for me is that his son would increase in me and that I would decrease not increase, not me get better, not me be more full of myself. And, and one of the ways I can tell that this me becoming the great me is wrong is because when I fail at it, which I almost always do, very few times, like I get, you get that like one moment where you're like, yes, I'm it, and then you think about something else that you didn't do and you've lost it again. Um, so when I fail at it, what do I feel? Condemned. So we know from Romans 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ. So that can't be right. And when I do achieve it for one shining second every 10 years or so, I get arrogant. And there's no place for that either, is there? There's no place for either one. 
in our pursuit of our idealized best selves, I am not saying we should not be growing. I am saying if, if it's all about us and achievement, whether it be in our work, whether it be in our family, whether it be with our spouses, wherever it is, and there's a lot of good things to achieve in, if it is not about growing in Christ, it's the wrong thing. And that's it. Every, every other growth has to be done through that filter in order for it to be our souls to be saved and not us trying to, to make something um, on our own. And the thing that happens, um, and I mentioned this already with Saul, when we hold on to things that don't work, we generally cause the outcome that we're trying to avoid. <laughs> it's, it just leads to it, right? So I'll just give an example of something that doesn't work, and, and I'm waiting for the chuckles, right? Trying to change our spouses. <laughs> On cue. You guys are wonderful. Um, it doesn't work. It really, really doesn't work. Um, and you hate when somebody's doing it to you, and they hate when you're doing it to them, when you're trying to get them to be somebody different. It doesn't work, and it causes the same behaviors or worse behaviors that you were trying to get them to stop, right? The agitation increases, the um, sense of separation, the loss of intimacy, togetherness just grows because as far as you know, you're not loved for who you are. You're loved for who they want you to be, and nobody wants that. Nobody enjoys that. Um, and so we, act, we create the thing that we're trying to hold on to. In, um, uh, in Mark 15, uh, it talks about how the chief priests um, agitated the crowd to ask for Barabbas instead of Jesus, right? Pilate says, who do you want me to release to you? Um, because they knew it was out of envy that they handed Jesus over. And um, the crowd says, Barabbas, Barabbas, what should I do with Christ? Crucify him, crucify him. And if you read the text, what was Barabbas arrested for? Murder and insurrection. What got Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem, what got Jerusalem leveled? Insurrection. Over and over and over, the Jews would rebel. And so they're trying to hold on to their place and their nation, and they ask for an insurrectionist to be let go. We do things that don't make sense when we, try to, when we continue taking actions that don't work. It just doesn't make sense. And we sabotage ourselves, and we hurt, uh, we hurt other people, and we hurt ourselves. Don't trade your inheritance in Christ for becoming your idealized self or miss out on the truth in the pursuit of that idealized self. Um, I don't think any of us um, have in, well, let me retract that. When we are thinking correctly, um, we invite the persecutions that Jesus had in his life. Most of the time, I'm not thinking correctly, and I do not. His word clearly says, all men will hate you because of my name. And I, oh boy, do I love to hold on to being liked. 
not stir up, you know, to not uh, to worry about <clears throat> what people are thinking about me. And um, so these things, you know, we got to let go. And I'm convicted so much about that. And I pray that to become hated by all nations, to become hated by all men. Um, not because, and, and, and I love the way that Rick talks about this, not because I'm a jerk, right? So those of you that are jerks, and my son Miles can't stand if I, if I hint that he's being a jerk. If I, and I can't even say, you're being a jerk. He gets so bent out of shape. Um, so I, I try to say, you're acting like a jerk, and you don't like that either. So we've come up with, <laughs> he gets really steamed. And so uh, that doesn't work, so I don't do that um, and come up with other ways to kind of show him. And I've talked through it with him, like, all right, Miles, so if I said this, would that help you recognize sooner kind of that you're going down this path that really makes things difficult for all of us? Yeah, I think that might work, Dad. All right. So, and that worked yesterday, so praise the Lord. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, I'm sure it'll backfire on me sometime. But... Um, the, uh, as Rick says, it was a track, and I'm going to get back on it. <laughs> Letting go of things that don't work. Um, all right, so let's talk about something that does work, okay? And the, I hate to say, oh, I'm going to give you something that works. Just these three points, and your life will be phantasmagorical. Uh, and the Lord will bless you in everything that you do. Um, the I don't. I'm not offering you a formula, and I'll. I'll hopefully, this will kind of explain. Well, I'll get there eventually. Um, so in October, um, I was on a trip. I was down in Washington D.C., and the um, the last meeting ended at like two o'clock, and I couldn't get another direct flight from there um, until like 8.30 or something. It was late. And so I was just walking on the mall, uh, and the mall is really long. If any of you ever walked that, it's just like forever from the Capitol building. And I'm, I made it to the Lincoln Monument. And, uh, and it was October. It was one of those really nice days in October, so it was pretty warm out. Um, and I had had some stuff... Um, some sin that was bothering me um, that I just didn't feel like I was doing a good job addressing and repenting of and getting out of my life. And I serve uh, kind of on the leadership team here um, with Rick and, and some other guys. And I, I, I wanted to talk to some of those guys because I wanted them to know what was going on in my life as well so that they could speak into my life so it was out there in the open. It's not stuff that I was hiding, you know, other people knew about, but I just felt the responsibility to talk to these guys about it as well. Um, and so I was on the phone with Skip Joss, who's teaching right now. And um, I was going to try and imitate Skip's voice, but I don't think I can get it um, because it's very distinct. And uh, he's, he says, uh, well, you know, how, how are you, how is your Bible study? And you know, so I'm on my cell phone, and I know I went, you know, he's, he's going to give me the simple read your Bible answer, and, you know, um, and that's how I felt, right? Um, and he, he didn't know it was in my heart or that I was rolling my eyes, and, um, but I did. 
Um, but I knew he was right, right? I knew that I need the word in my life. I need the word in my life consistently. And it's not like I never read the Bible, but there wasn't just that consistency in having God speak into my life through his word. And, and I think you'll all agree with me that 30 to 40 minutes here a week is really not enough for God to speak into our lives. We really do need to be in his word. Um, but I took what he said to heart, and I did start trying to do something consistently. And one of the days I was reading in um, Mark chapter 9, um, and you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. I'm never going to discourage you from going somewhere in the Bible. Um, but in Mark chapter 9, and this uh, same um, phraseology is in several of the other Gospels. Uh, he's talking about salt. <clears throat> and uh, in verse 50, he said, uh, he said, salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. And in other, um, in other Gospels, it says, if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled by men. And this kind of works together with this, you know, me wanting to be uh, well-spoken of and liked and all that. It really it convicted me about my witness for Christ, about how little I would talk to people about Jesus. And it's easy for me to talk about God and to say to people, yeah, I've, I've been blessed in a lot of ways, because that's kind of amorphous, like, God, that could be anything. You know, that could be, you can follow whatever you want. You can talk about God, and most people will be fine with that. But Jesus is very specific, uh, and Jesus has some very specific direction for our lives. And so I was just very convicted, and I have been... Uh, either since I was five or since I was 13 or since I was 21, I've been a Christian, all right? God knows what it is. I'm not worried about it. Um, and the, I, I, this has always been a struggle for me. And in that moment, and, and thank God for Skip saying, go back and read your Bible, because we go and read the Bible and we get convicted, I thought, I've, I've lost my saltiness. I'm good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled among men. Thank you for agreeing that that's not the case, Ruth. Um, but that's how I felt, right? Um, and it says if salt loses its saltiness, how will it be made salty again? And I was so grateful because the Lord showed me, my word will make you salty again. My word will build up that preserving power in your life for you to share with other people. So wherever you are in your saltiness, if you want to be a preserver, get back in his word. Allow it to work in your life. Allow it to speak into your life. Um, it says, um, uh, and, and what makes this the most powerful of, of anything um, is this is not a what for us to do. This is a who for us. Because John, the first few verses of his gospel, <clears throat> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Your Bible study, you are interfacing with Jesus. 
And you think back to that song, you think about what you felt in singing about Jesus, worthy is the lamb that was slain for us, son of God and man, high and lifted up. You're, you're part of your opportunity. And of course, prayer, fellowship with one another, all those things. But this ability to increase the saltiness when we've lost it, part of that comes from being in the word and hearing from him. I love um, the scripture um, in Matthew 11. Uh, he says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And in, in, there's two different ways it's said, depending on the version of the Bible that you're reading. It says, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Or it says, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. And I love of I mean, from is cool, too, right, that the Son of God would sit and teach me. But of just seems so personal and seems such a transition of who he is to who we are and less of us and more of him. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So these things that we're trying to do that don't work, God's got things for us that work. Not a rule, not a, you know, again, just checking off the box. Um, But he, I can't explain it. I can't break it all down for you how it is. But there is something about him working in us through his word that restores our ability to preserve and be salt and light. He's the light of the world. So if we're learning of him, we are becoming more the light of the world. Um, in um, Proverbs 29, in verse 18, <clears throat> it says, Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. And God reveals himself to us through his word. And if you find yourself slipping back into doing things that you know you ought not to be doing, or you've got things that you have never repented of, you need revelation so that you can take restraint back on, the restraint that he wants for you, the yoke that's easy, the burden that's light, instead of trying to find it in other ways. We do it through, um, we do it through holding grudges. That's something that we hold on to that doesn't work, being unforgiving. Uh, we do it from, through trying to control other people. We do it through addictions where there are things in our lives that we feel like we can't let go of. Where are we going to find that pleasure if we stop doing that thing, where God's got a whole different way for you to find real pleasure in him? And we have these things that we either can't see ourselves letting go of, or we haven't been successful yet. And his word helps us identify those things, and turn them around quickly. This is, so my idealized self and my desire to be that has not gone away, but it is diminished. And it's so much pressure off myself, right, to not have to become that. And a lot of times we hold on to things because they support us. They're like crutches, right? We feel safe because, I mean, we may be like totally bent over and out of whack or holding on by our fingernails, but at least we're not, we haven't fallen. And when we let these things go, it's like 
you know, you're this far off the ground and you hit the ground and go, oh, that wasn't so bad, <laughs> you know. This is not easier than I thought, but it's, it's not the same difficulty that I imagined it would be. It may be very, very difficult, but I can guarantee you holding on to the thing that doesn't work will be worse. Um, <clears throat> the, we're limited um, in the things that we can hold, right? And the more we try to hold on to, the less room sometimes we have for God. Now, I got four boys, uh, 13, 9, uh, 4, and 2. And I, um, I can't hold all four of them at once. There was a time I could hold all four of them, right? Now, every morning when um, Bryce and Jameson get up, if I'm still there, they get up around 7.30, 8 o'clock. Sometimes I'm gone already. Um, but Bryce loves for me to carry him downstairs, right? And I can hear him down the hall if Mary goes in there. He's, where's my dad, <laughs> he says. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'll come down. And what I learned is, you know, um, when you're holding a baby, you, you really need to devote an arm to the baby, right? Because they squirm and they're not, you just don't know what they're going to do. They may sit still, they may go like this and fall right out. You know, it's just, you got to, you really have to devote a whole arm to the baby. You know, other kids, they're more likely to sit kind of how you want them sometimes. Um, and so uh, I picked Jameson up first because it's a lot easier to stoop down and pick Bryce up. Bryce is, is huge for a four-year-old. He, any, and any of you that have had him in Sunday school that have had to pick him up, thank you very much. He's just really, really heavy and solid. Um, and so what I learned is I picked Jameson up first, <clears throat> and then I have Bryce stand in his bed because it's a lot easier to get down just that far. Because if I pick Bryce up and I got to squat all the way down and then pick up the baby and stand up with both of them, that's a lot harder because I got more weight to begin with with Bryce. So I have Bryce standing in his bed. I have Jameson. I scoop Bryce up. Jameson has to turn the light off. If anybody else turns the light off, it's a big kerfuffle. And so Jameson turned the light off. And then um, because I did it once, now we have to do it all the time. I have to go down the stairs fast. And so my hips and my ankles are killing me because it's, you know, down the stairs. But they love it. And they smile. Um, so I can hold on to the two of them okay. Now, I was holding Bryce, and I think I made it through, like, the first song, right, because he's so heavy. And then he wanted to go into the nursery, so I put him in there. And I can hold Miles. Uh, I can hold Miles and Bryce or Jameson, but it's hard, and I can't do it for very long. Miles still likes to get picked up every morning. I, well, not every morning, but I carry, he wants to get carried down from his bed. He's nine years old, but that's all right. It'll stop. And fortunately, he is like in the 50th percentile instead of the 110th percentile, you know, for height and weight. Uh, so I can manage that. And I can hold him and one of the other ones for a little while. Mitchell, I can, I, if I lock my hands and have him, you know, I can hold him up for a time, um, but not very long. If I wanted to hold all four of them, I could do it, but I think I'd have to put Mitchell on my shoulders. Uh, I would have um, 
Miles on this side, I'd have Bryce on this side, and I'd probably hold Jameson by the back of his shirt like a suitcase. (laughs) And then I'd be able to maneuver for a little while, get him far enough away. Uh, If you've never carried a kid like that, it's actually kind of fun. You know, because their shirt supports them. You don't do it with something that has snaps because you're liable to lose them. But <clears throat> it's really kind of fun to carry them that way. Um, what I'm so grateful for with God is that <clears throat> we do not have to let go of everything to be held by him. His palm is very spacious. And he doesn't hold us like this, right? He doesn't hold the way that we hold. There's plenty of room for us to walk around and maneuver in his palm. His palm holds the nations. can certainly give us plenty of room before we'd fall off the edge. And he doesn't squeeze us. And he doesn't stop holding us because we're holding on to stuff that doesn't work. He doesn't say, unless you hold on to me, I'm not holding on to you. He lets us work through it. He lets us work through letting go of the things that we know we ought to let go of. If you've, um, there's a big difference between um, holding a child that wants to be held and holding a child that doesn't want to be held. Uh, There's some arching that goes on and some kicking, maybe some volume. Probably, if their head's going fast enough and it's cold season, there's spit and snot. And it's not very pleasant. And there's a chance they can hurt you, and there's a chance that they'll hurt themselves by their flailing around. Um, and when you hold a child that wants to be held, they almost melt into you. They, don't, they become almost a part of you. And that's how God wants to hold us. And we flail. And we say, no, no. We whack our heads around and we do, you know, all the gyrations. And he just wants us to melt into him, to become a part of him, right? That's how you feel when you're holding that child and, and they fall asleep and the mouths open and it's just they're, they're almost you. And he wants us to be him more and more and to be held in that way. We gyrate and we kick and we scream because we, we want to keep doing things the way that we're doing them. We want to hold on to stuff that doesn't work. And God wants us to be able to let go of that. Um, and that's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. Let's pray. Our great God.